Welcome to another episode of the Heartship Journey Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm your host, Andrea Mauser, a mindset and personal growth coach. Today, my guest is Molly Knuth. Molly shares of her daughter Charlotte's journey with acute flaccid myelitis, also known as AFM, which is a neurological disease that's very rare and very serious. Some have referenced it like polio. Charlotte was just five years old and enjoying summer and preparing to go off to kindergarten when she started experiencing weakness and had further deterioration with her functionality. As parents, the well-being of our child is of such importance. So to hear Molly share what it was like to see your child go through a health journey that as a parent makes you totally feel helpless because you can't take away the pain or even trade places with them. Hearing from Molly reminded me that strength happens at any age, even at the tender age of five. And that having a support system and positive outlook and not giving meaning to the what ifs can really help during hardship times. I was so uplifted talking with Molly and I hope you are too. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Heartship Journey. I am so just tickled being here to have Molly with me today. Um, Molly Knuth and I have known Molly several years now. We kind of connected through a workout group. I know I really enjoy working out and Molly, I feel like you do. And from that, I actually had an opportunity to talk with Molly on a podcast that she started small minded podcast back last year. And I, you know, honestly, you're the reason I've kind of started the podcast piece when I was on yours and just kind of hearing the stories that you shared from a small business aspect it was something that got into my mind of like, oh my gosh, I really feel called to do this as well. So, so thank you for being that inspiration and giving oh me gosh. the opportunity to visit with you on yeah, that's your so sweet. Platform. And I'm so happy that you decided to do this because I think that podcasting is such a great way for people to share stories and there are so many stories to tell. And so the more people we can have that feel empowered to be able to do something like this, the better. Yeah. Absolutely. So Molly today is going to be sharing about her daughter Charlotte's journey with acute flaccid myelitis. And so um, Molly, I'll just kind of turn it over to you to let you share more about yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am used to like speaking on podcasts and like video and stuff about my work, but talking about Charlotte's journey is going to be really special. So I appreciate you letting me do this. Um, yeah, so I'm Molly. I'm wife to Ryan. We've been married for 12, almost 12 years now. And we knew pretty quickly that we wanted to have a big family. So like less than two years after we were married, we had our first son. And then in quick succession, we had two more girls. And then in 2016, we added our last. And so over the span of about five years, we had four kids. (laughs) Yeah. Life at our house was never a dull moment. So we, um, yeah, we were really busy doing all the things and Ryan farms. So he is raising cattle, hogs at the time, soybeans and corn. And it was like, so I'll kind of tie all this into the beginning of Charlotte's journey. And Mm -hmm. so it was like July ish when we started noticing that something was off. And so at that time of year, I mean, He was not as busy with work, but he was gearing up, getting things ready for harvest because around here in Iowa, like harvest starts mid-August and goes until November. And what year was that? um, This is, sorry, this is 2018. Okay. So we, at that time, Aiden was seven, Charlotte was five and a half, Corinne was almost four, her birthday's in August, and then Henry was one and a half. And... I run my own business, so I do social media marketing for small town businesses, so I had a slate of clients, and that business started in late 2016, early 2017, so at that time, I was pretty fresh and green. I had about two years, about a year and a half, two years almost under my belt, but I was working for some big things at that time, so we were very busy. Like, you know, how life gets when you're trying to raise four kids. I was a stay-at-home mom running a business. So in the summertime, we were trying to enjoy like all of the parks and the pools and all that stuff. But yeah, it was a super busy time for us. What what took place with Charlotte that 
was something you noticed or picked up on that maybe reference like something okay? Do we have to get something checked out? Yeah, sure. So in late July, we, I can't remember exactly what we had been doing. We went somewhere for like a weekend and we came back and I just noticed that she was like, her throat was scratchy. She was like having a hard time swallowing. She wasn't eating as much. So we took her to the doctor, thought it was strep throat. It didn't come, we had to go into like our local acute care because it was a weekend. So it wasn't our regular family doctor. Um, and so they were like, well, the rapid test came back negative for strep, but any parents know there's a rapid test and then there's a long exposure test. So they said, she's got all the signs of strep. So we're gonna treat her and we'll send her home. In a couple of days, we'll call you with the results of that long exposure test. So we assumed it was strep, we treated her, all was fine. So then that gets us into, that was late July, like July 30th or 31st of 2018. And then um, in like, maybe like 10 days later, she was again, like just kind of off, like things just, she wasn't acting like her normal self. She was very tired. Um, she was complaining of headaches and her throat hurting. And so when, and she was having some, like, we did end up taking her to the pediatrician then. So this is like, I'm going to compare this to days of the week. The dates, I could probably get the dates too if I work backwards, (laughs) but it was a Tuesday. So we did go to our regular family pediatrician and she is like, well, she kind of sounds like she has some, um, some lung stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So she's like, we'll do just like an oral steroid and see if that gets that cleared up. And at the same time, we're gearing up because it's our third child's birthday at the end of the week. So we were going to have a birthday party. So we're getting the house cleaned. We're getting excited for that. And Charlotte is like just continuing to kind of not get better. And after she was on these oral steroids, the doctor's like, okay, a kid on steroids, they're going to be bouncing off the walls. So she said, give it to her in the morning because she's going to be all amped up. And um, so you just need to like keep that in mind. Well, I'd give her her dose and then she needed a nap. And she was like five. And so she was past the nap stage. So the week continued on and... in late August as well, my sister was going to get married. So we were doing birthday stuff. We were doing wedding stuff. And I was over at my mom's a lot, like helping with things throughout the week. And Charlotte was just so tired. She would have to like lay on the couch and take naps, which was so unusual. So by the end of the week, she wasn't getting better. We went back to our doctor and she's like, listen to her lung sounds. She said, okay, it sounds like it's getting worse. It may have developed from just like maybe some kind of lung thing into more of a bronchitis. We don't want it to be pneumonia. So I'm going to give her a steroid injection. Mm. And she's like, this will definitely make her amped up. Yeah. She was going to get a whole bunch of steroids at once. And that was the night that we were going to have the birthday party too. And again, she got the injection. She needed a nap. And for the night of the birthday party, like she just laid in bed the whole night and it was so sad. We still had fun and Corinne was like at that stage, she was like all about princesses. So we had a princess party and we're having all this fun. But then Charlotte, like it was all she could do to come out and get one picture and give everybody a hug and then go back and lay down. Oh my gosh. Yeah. After all that medication, all those weeks, right? Or was it weeks at that point or more a couple days? Well, in late July, it was just antibiotics. Okay. And then, so, but for a few days, she had been on steroids by that Mm -hmm. point. And so, you know, by then the steroids should have been like in her system. Right. So we went to bed that night and Charlotte wasn't feeling good still. So we let her lay on the floor of our room and Corinne brought her sleeping bag into, and they just kind of slept next to each other. And so we woke up the next morning pretty early. I think it was like 530-ish. And Charlotte was like, Mom... I don't feel good. My neck feels weird. And we were, she was like not able to move her body the way she usually does. And like, we noticed that her right arm was kind of slack. She wasn't moving it as much. So I texted her doctor, our pediatrician. She's like, you should probably take her into acute care or the ER and just get her seen. So then meanwhile, we're like, okay, we're going to get up. We're going to get going. So I told her to go like brush her teeth, go to the bathroom, change her clothes. And my husband kind of went back with her and he comes back and talks to me after he noticed her changing. He goes, Molly, she can't like, she can't pull her pants up by herself. Her arm's not working. 
And so I was like, okay, this is pretty serious. And then I take her into the emergency room and my husband stayed back with the rest of the kids until we could like secure childcare for them. So it was just me and her. And then when we were getting out of the van at the ER, so we live in a small town. It was about a half hour, 35 minute drive to the closest emergency room. And we didn't call ahead or anything, I don't think, because I was like, I didn't know how serious it was. And um, getting out of the van, she's like, can you please carry me? And I was like, well, we just have a short walk. And she's like, I don't know if I can walk. And so I went, I said, okay. But I went to lift her up and her head like lolled back because she was losing control of her neck muscles. And we have a nephew who has um, a neuromuscular disorder. And so we had, that was what my first thought went to. I was like, oh my gosh, like she's not able to control her neck. Like what's happening? And so I took her inside and like, this is not without moments of levity either. (laughs) So like when I was checking her into the ER, I was talking to the nurse and she's like, well, what's her name? Where, what's your address? How old is she? And I was like, Charlotte Knuth, five years old. And all of a sudden I hear her yell, I'm five and a half, mom. (laughs) You know, when you're little, that half makes a big difference. Yes, it does. (laughs) So we get to, and let me know how detailed you want me to be, because like these first 48 hours are just wild and I can go into a lot of detail, yeah. but I don't I think it's, I think okay. it's important to hear if you're willing okay. to share. So we get into the ER and they um, take us back and they start running a bunch of panels and they are like testing, doing, taking labs. They are um, just talking to, I can't remember who all was in there. I know we had an ENT in there at one point. We had several nurses. We know some people from town who work in that emergency room too. So they would stop in and say hi. They were making Charlotte comfortable, letting her watch TV. Um, She was drinking Gatorade out of a straw. She thought that was pretty cool in that big bed. Um, And then they called in the peds doctor who was on call. And he had seen something no, we're not at that point yet. So he, Ryan comes in, my husband, and he's able to be with us after a little bit. And they called in the ENT. The peds doctor called in to like see her. They kind of compared their notes. She was, we were noticing that the right side of her body and her face was the slack side more so than the left. So they were immediately thinking, like, was this a stroke issue, something like that. They were doing a lot of checking with her mouth and her tongue because her tongue was kind of lolling over to the right and her reflexes like with her eyes on the right side weren't as strong and stuff like that too so then while I just remember while the doctors were in there pretty soon Charlotte says mom I can't I can't drink and I was like what are you talking about she could no longer swallow out of the straw like it that's how fast this was progressing like she was drinking a Gatorade and then within minutes like she could no longer close her mouth to make that suction to get something to drink out of the straw. So the doctors were all like kind of conferring with one another. The pediatrician came back into us. He goes, okay, we're going to have an MRI. Um, You know, it could be a stroke. It could be a tumor. It could be this other thing that I'm thinking, but that's really rare. So I'm not thinking it's that, but we're going to go back and do MRI. So Charlotte's five and a half. We go back to MRI and I was the one with her, Ryan, we could only have one parent. So he had to sit in the room, which was heartbreaking. And we were in there for probably an hour and Charlotte, like it's very important on an MRI, like not to move so they can get a good image. And the little, like, I could not imagine how she did that, but she sat still the whole time until she had to go potty. And then she started wiggling a little. She's like, I just got to go to the bathroom so bad. I'm like, we can pause and do that. It's okay. But again, like when we moved her off the table and I went to go help her to the bathroom, like I had to carry her. She like couldn't control her neck. It kept like falling back. And so I knew something was really wrong. And she wanted to listen to Pink. That was her favorite artist at the time. So the whole time she was in MRI, they were playing um, a Pink playlist from YouTube. And so the whole thing while we were out of the room was probably an hour and a half, two hours. And we went back to the room, to our ER room. And this is like probably two o'clock in the afternoon. So we'd been in ER for maybe like eight hours. And 
the doctor came back after reviewing the results and he's like, okay, so this is something I've only ever seen once in my career. He's like, this, uh, there's a girl from Dubuque who had this. She, it was, he was giving her a working diagnosis of something called ADEM. And I don't even know what that means, but it was like essentially her immune system had gone into overdrive and we're thinking from that like strep I'm using air quotes because now like looking back it was probably not strep right but her after her body was like triggering the immuno response it went into overdrive and then attacked her spinal cord so and at that so that's what he gave us he goes you know this is going to be a long journey for you guys we're going to send you down to the peds hospital in Iowa City and he's like, it could be weeks before you go back home. And I was like, um, my sister gets married in 10 days. <laughs> and I was like, Charlotte's a flower girl. I was like, we will be home by then. Yeah. Famous last words. But I was just like, there's no way. Like, right. there's no way. And I think maybe going in with that, like, naive attitude <laughs> was probably a good thing. Um, but he's like, we're going to send you via ambulance because her condition is deteriorating quickly and it could change at any moment. And so it's not safe for her to go down in your family vehicle. So we're gonna have you go down via ambulance and one parent could ride with. Mm -hmm. So I rode with her and we were transported down, like we have to drive by our hometown to get from Dubuque mm -hmm. to Iowa City. So like we were looking out the back window and Charlotte's like, there's our water tower. <laughs> and then we were reading books and stuff. And then she got really- Was she on the way down? Was she scared? Was she asking questions? Um, for the first part, she was like just pretty out of it. Like, honestly, she was so tired and she just didn't feel good. And so um, we were reading stories and stuff. But then after a couple books, she was like, can I just take a nap, please? And so I was like, that's fine. Yeah, you can just rest. And then her fever spiked. Like she went up to 103, I think. And um, so the care team was like giving her ice packs and stuff. They were like, they were great. Um, but we could not get to the hospital fast enough. <laughs> And I was just like, I was so nervous. But she was like just resting. And we got to Iowa City and she just, this is again, not without moments of levity. Um, I'm so thirsty, mom. I just need a drink. But we knew she couldn't swallow. Yeah. So that would run a risk of like aspiration. And so I was like, honey, we cannot get you anything to drink. I'm sorry, but we can't. And so we are like being transported from where did they do the drop off? from the ambulance over to the peds unit and we get to the room that's going to be hers and she's like do you know how many water fountains we went past mom <laughs> three i counted everyone <laughs> oh my gosh uh and at that time like as you can imagine like if her swallowing's not working they were looking at like her slack mouth like she was getting harder and harder to understand in her talking but i did not miss that <laughs> she wanted me to know that we passed three water fountains so that was Saturday. So by the time we got to Iowa City, it was like Saturday night at five o'clock. And we had to like go through the first set of doctors and care team and then shift change. So we had to go through another set of doctors and care team, just relaying everything that we knew, which wasn't much. We didn't really know what, nothing triggered this in our minds. We didn't know. And so um, that was Saturday. Sunday, she was continuing to like run fevers. Her breathing was getting more labored. She still couldn't eat or drink because she wasn't swallowing. So all we could do was like dip a Q-tip in water and like swab out her mouth. And she was starting to not be able to swallow her own spit. So we would have to like suction their mouth out every so often too. And she was just sleep, like sleeping. And we had visitors stopping in. Family wanted to make sure she was doing okay. And um, a lot of updates from the care team just like saying, okay, this is what we're noticing. We're just trying to get some baselines here. Um, they were still thinking maybe ADEM, but also this other disorder called transverse myelitis, which is very similar. Mm -hmm. um, so they're like kind of transitioning or over to thinking it was closer to this transverse myelitis. I don't know what the reasoning was behind that. But um, so we're just basically trying to keep her comfortable for the for those hours. And Did the hours just go slow? Or were you like, oh my gosh, the, it's going so quickly because there's a lot of movement happening? Um, in our, in my memory now, it went really, that day went really fast, but in the time, I'm sure it didn't. 
Um, but there was like just constantly people stopping in, like from nurses to doctors, like asking questions. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's been in a situation like this, you answer the same questions over and over and over again. And it's just trying to figure out what's going on. But like, I feel like I told, I don't even know how many people that day, like, mm-hmm. cause she was seen by like neurology and like just the I think it was like a resident on the floor and there was a peds doctor and a physical I don't know there was just like a whole bunch of people that we saw and a whole bunch of specialists just trying to figure out what was going on and then she ended up having respiratory in there too because they were trying to figure out like her lung situation because she was losing swallowing control they're worried about her like being able to breathe so the next morning and the nights were really long too we didn't get a lot of sleep because she was like not able to swallow, like all that stuff. So Monday morning, which was August 13th, so Corinne's birthday, and Ryan and I were, we had been with Charlotte since Saturday morning. And then on Monday morning, the care team was doing their rounds and it was like the week long, the weekly staff. And so that was good. We were gonna be able to see them for five days before we went into like the weekend rounding again. And so it was like, in the intensive care unit, um, they do rounds in the morning and in the evening. So it's like all the nurses, all the specialists, all the doctors, they like stop at your room. They have a little powwow about like what her situation is at the moment. What are we gonna try for care today? And so we were getting ready for that. Someone from our town worked down there as a respiratory therapist. One of my best friends is a respiratory supervisor down there. And we had some nursing staff that we knew. My sister actually was a nurse in the children's hospital, so she would stop down too. Um, But that morning, I remember the respiratory therapist from our town, he was just stopping by to say hi. He was like, I just wanted to see you guys, which is like such a blessing, having people stop in. He's like, I just wanted to see how things were going. I wanted to visit and just tell you that we're thinking of you. And so he was in the room, and then the doctor showed up outside the room for rounds. So... He was like, you guys go out there. I'll just talk with Charlotte for a little bit and it'll be fine. So we went out to talk to the doctors and pretty soon her monitors started dinging and she could no longer breathe. So this is always like a really weird part, but I'm just, oh God. And there was a priest in our room at the same time too, which was so weird. (laughs) But it was like, just all of these things came together. And, um, so Tom went up and he actually was, he held Charlotte's head and he intubated her. And it was like, he is a respiratory therapist for adults, but I was just so blessed to like have him there. And her whole care team was like right outside her room. So like this couldn't have happened at a better time. Right. And we had like, they all, they, we knew that this was maybe an option. Like if her continued, if her condition continued to deteriorate, she was going to have to go onto a tube breathing. They would sedate her and she would just be made comfortable while her body fought this off. And so um, so that's what we did. So they intubated her, and Ryan and I kind of stood off to the side. And in my head, it's one of those things where you're like, you're watching things happen on a stage, and you're just kind of off to the side, and you're just a witness to your own life, which is really weird. But um, they were all just so busy and, like, hovering over her, and we couldn't do anything except, like, stand by. And then immediately after they got her intubated and kind of stabilized, they were going to wheel her out for another MRI just to, like, see what had changed. So in an intensive care unit room, like, it's pretty small. In in Iowa City, like, it was brand new. So it was, like, this was a sizable room compared to other ones, so I've heard. But her bed and her monitors and all that stuff took up most of the room. So when they wheeled her out, it was just like this big hole (laughs) and like the room was empty and Ryan and I were just standing there like holding each other's hands. And, um, one of her nursing respiratory staff came in and she's like, you guys look like you got hit by a truck. (laughs) It's she's like, go take showers, go get some food. We will take care of her until you get back. Yeah. And so we did that. And then, that was the first of 17 days of her being intubated. Really? Yeah. Oh so, which runs a whole gamut of issues too. Like if she's intubated too long, you run the risk of getting ventilator pneumonia. Um, 
so anyway, for like the next seven, for the first few days, like this is where it felt really long. Like she was just sedated and we could just sit at her bedside. I played a ton of Candy Crush and we watched Friends <laughs> and people were sending cards and gifts and Ryan and I, like, again, being naive, we were just like, there's no way we're going to use all these gift cards. Or like yeah. one of our family members sent two pounds of meat and like packages of buns and pop and water. And we're like, how are we ever going to eat all this? We're going to be home by next right. week. <laughs> right. So dumb. But Anyway. And you had a wedding coming up too. Yeah. So the wedding was, so this happened. So she was intubated on Monday, the 13th. The wedding was the 25th. And we were like, we got to be home by then. And it was also, oh yeah. And that was the first week of school too. School started that following week. She was going to start kindergarten. So we were like, just kind of passing time. And the Iowa City, I cannot say enough about their care staff, like the respiratory therapists, the physical therapists, the occupational therapists, the doctors and nurses, like they all came in and she was, I mean, being sedated. And she, I guess I should say too, she also received what was called IVIG, which again, we were all just working off of this, like thinking that maybe it was this transverse myelitis. We didn't know for sure, but they were like, well, we're gonna do what's called IVIG, which is like a high dose steroid that is delivered through IV. And so she got three huge treatments of that over three days, and then they would wean her back off of it. And she was also on like a whole bunch of, oh gosh, I can't even think of all the drugs that she was on just to keep her comfortable. But there was just like monitors and drip bags and she had so many, she was calling them blood sucks before, but like just pokes that she had. and. Um, so we were always busy with like suctioning out her mouth so we could get the spit out, even though she wasn't like talking or really like with it. Mm -hmm. And we were also, I didn't realize this at the time, but PT and OT came in like that next day to get her body moving. Really? Cause she had already been on bed rest basically since that Saturday. So this was, we were over 48 hours of her like being in a bed and they're like, we need to get her body moving around. So it's so crazy and I can share a video with you but like her eyes are closed you think she's sleeping but the therapist would pick up her leg and they'd be like Charlotte push my hand away and they'd like put their hand up against the sole of her foot and then she would like push and she'd move the hand oh it was so crazy but what we noticed too was that like in at some point because like before she was sedated, she wasn't moving a lot. She was really uncomfortable. At some point, like it was no longer just her right side that was affected, her right arm. also Now her left arm was pretty affected too. And so they were working a lot. Her legs were very strong, good, but they were working a lot with getting her arms <clears throat> and trying to like stretch her arms and like see if she even had grip strength. She didn't in her right. So. Like, after a few days of her being very sedated, then they started, like, weaning back some of those sedation medicines, and she was a little more with it. And so, like, I would say she was probably only really out for two to three days, and then she would start having moments of, like, being awake, or she would, like, by the end of the week... Which in my, it blows my mind now. Like it felt like we were there for so long, but now I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was only a week. The PT and OT came in together and they had her like sit up on the side of the bed and it took all of her strength. Like I had to be behind her holding her head. Ryan got to sit next to beside her and we would just basically, oh no, I was in front cause I was videoing. So somebody else was behind her holding her head, but they would just take their hands off of her head for like two seconds. And then she would hold her neck still. And then it would like kind of fall to the side because she had no control yeah. over her muscles. So they were just constantly pushing her and it was awesome. And they had music therapists and they had art therapists wow. and she loves all that stuff. Yeah. And so they really did a great job. And like their child life specialists came in with games and toys and markers so we could decorate. And people were sending cards that we would hang up in her room. And she had like prayer. They did a prayer service at school to pray for her. There were people who were traveling um, that we just had contact with. And they were traveling across the world. So she had, they just happened to be on a trip. But they were like, we lit a candle for her in Rome. We lit a candle for her in Ireland. And so she really had people praying for her all over the world. And 
people were sending unicorns because she liked unicorns. So now we have like this huge unicorn stuffed animal collection that we still have. And it was, yeah. So seeing the outpouring of love and support was really humbling. Um, but I think a lot of that was what kept us going and had us, yeah, just yeah. kept us going too. So anyway, that's like the first week. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. And thinking ahead to knowing like school was going to be starting, was she able to go to school or, or how long was her process to? So at the hospital, they have two teachers on staff oh. because they have, they treat kids with everything from acute injuries and illnesses like Charlotte's was to kids who have like long-term like cancer treatments and stuff. So they have two teachers on staff so that they can help the kids and they could like go to a room and go to school with their teachers if they're there for a long time. So we, again, we were like, she's going to be starting school. And like with my sister's wedding, like I was actually for once in my life ahead of the game. And I did all my school shopping and all my labeling, like the week that Charlotte got sick. And I remember Ryan saying, why are you doing all that already? And I'm like, I don't know. I just got it. And I decided to like get it. So I had everybody's stuff ordered and I had everybody's stuff already in their backpacks, which I was like, thank God the grandmas didn't have to do that. Cause that would have been a lot of work, but we had that done. So, and then I was just in close contact with like her principal and her teachers and just saying, you know, and she went to private school. So like, you know, I mean, they were going to do what they could, but I was like, I just want you to know that like, we're not sure exactly what state she's going to be in when she does get out of here and then what kind of services and supports she's going to need. But they were amazing and they were like, we'll do whatever we can to help her. And so, um, they sent some, I believe they sent some books and like some worksheet packets that she could do if she wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great, this will be awesome. She'll love it. And then it was one of those things where I was like, we didn't get around to it. Cause like she, I don't know, there was a lot of stuff that like, we were just trying to get her to swallow Yeah. and she was getting tube feeds through her nose. And then like she couldn't get off the bed, so she couldn't go to the bathroom. So, like, we were just doing some very basic stuff, and I was, like, I was a little ambitious to be trying to get her, like, reading materials. But Having goals is, is, is part of your, <laughs> it's ingrained in you, so it's just a matter of, like, part of the life. Is this something that people, for lack of a better word, do they, do they resolve it fully? Do they live with it within their life, or what is the... So we didn't know, like we did some basic research about it, like on Google, like just transverse myelitis. And what it is is similar to like what polio used to be, right? So like kids would be very healthy, all of a sudden they would lose movement and function. And so that's kind of what transverse myelitis presented like. But probably about three weeks into our stay in the intensive care unit, my aunt texted me one morning and she's like, hey, I saw this news clip on Good Morning America and it looks just like Charlotte. And so Good Morning America was reporting that there was this outbreak among children of this, what they were calling new polio. And it was like transverse myelitis, but this specific case, or this specific form of transverse myelitis was called acute flaccid myelitis. And it just started showing up. The first recorded case was in 2014. And there was just like a handful, like 20 something cases in 2014. And then there was like two cases. These numbers are not accurate, but I'm just Mm -hmm. like ballparking. There was like two in 2015. And then in 2016, it went up. And then in 2017, it went down. Mm -hmm. And then in the fall of 2018, by September, they were already noticing that there was a huge spike in cases. And so it was just like a weird seasonal thing where it was every other year, but Good Morning America reported on it. So then everything was ticking the boxes of what like Charlotte had. And so we were asking our care team, like, could it be this? But because it was so rare and so new, everybody's like, you know, I've never treated it before. I'm not sure, but we will, we'll look into it. Okay. So at the time we were really going in blind. We had no idea. Now looking back, Um, in like post Charlotte's illness and going back home and all that stuff about a year later, um, there was a news story about a family in Des Moines whose son was diagnosed with AFM. And so I reached out to her 
and got in touch with her. And she had known a couple other moms from Iowa whose kids had that. And so we kind of roundtabled and met up. And then she said, you know, there is this Facebook group of families that have AFM kids. And so she added me into that group. And that's when, like, the world was opened up. And it was like we could, like, see how kids were progressing, what were some of the, because they're like, and it's so rare that like regional care centers don't really know, but there were specialists like in Baltimore and in St. Louis and out in Los Angeles that were working with cohorts of kids specifically with AFM. So we could see like, what were some of the treatments that were working? What are some of the things that we could be trying? And so to answer your question, like the research is still ongoing. Mm -hmm. There's no like every case is different, which is frustrating, (laughs) but it's just the way it is. Like uh, some kids are, there's like a family in Davenport. Uh, They have connections back to our hometown, but like a week after Charlotte was diagnosed, like their son had it, but he was only in the NICU or in the ICU for like three days Mm -hmm. and then he got sent back home. So like some kids get it very mildly, Some kids have it very severely, and they are, like, quadriplegics. So it's very, it's on a spectrum. And And where did Charlotte fall? It seemed like she'd be, I would think, severe, given what you shared. But She was severe at first, but she's made an amazing recovery. Now, in my mind, like, her recovery has been amazing. Is it 100%? No. Will it ever be 100%? Probably not. But to look at where she was to where she is today is huge. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you want me to go into like the other parts? Cause like, yeah, okay. I'd love to. So she was intubated for 17 days. So on August 30th, so my sister got married. Charlotte couldn't go. Obviously she was still hooked up to the ventilator. So my husband stayed with her that day. I went to the wedding uh, with my family and it was a really fun day, but it was really hard too. But it was I mean, everybody, we prayed for her at church and stuff. People all were asking me about her, and it was, I mean, everybody was thinking about her. And we were able to, like, put her in her flower girl dress so she could, like, FaceTime. So it was really sweet. But, um, so that's always been something that was like, God, if she could have just been at the wedding. But, but anyway, that was like, again, I thought we would totally be out of the hospital by then, but that was like, the things we don't know, ignorance is bliss. We were going to be in the NICU or the ICU for like another two weeks after that. Yeah. We ended up being in the ICU for a total of five weeks. She was extubated on August 30th. Um, and we were super excited. So she was breathing room air. We got to take her for a little walk in the morning. And my friend, like I, I one of my really good friends was a respiratory therapist. So she got to be there to help us extubate. It was awesome. Um, and it was really exciting. And then by that afternoon, though, her heart rate, like, this is one of the worst days. So we were so excited that she was getting extubated. But then by the afternoon, her little body was working so hard. And she was also coming off of, like, morphine and stuff that her heart rate was, like, up over 200 for most of the day. And, like, her blood pressure was through the roof. So they were trying to give her meds to bring her blood pressure down. And she could just, like, she had to have, like, a, ma- a face mask with air like pumping so that it was helping her body so not I didn't have to work so hard and so it was like I almost swore on your podcast <laughs> but like it was like we just like did this great thing today and now it's like are we gonna have to like re reintubate her like that was a po- possibility and like I didn't know this at the time like we found out a, f- a couple months later like she was really close to having to get a trach and because they were worried about like how long she was on the ventilator because 17 days is a really long time for a kid to be on and um so then with that whole episode like I just remember like one of your prep questions like what was one of the worst times (laughs) that afternoon I remember I was like I can't like we finally got her settled and kind of calm and I remember like going to the bathroom to get cleaned up for the day. And like, I was just like having the dry heaves like into a garbage. I'm like, that's like one of the lowest moments that I remember. I'm like, I'm like literally standing in this community bathroom and I'm puking into the garbage can. Because <laughs> like, I just like was so nervous and yeah. it, were, oh, it was horrible. You're probably helpless. There was nothing we could do. And like a question I never asked was like, 
are we gonna lose her? But I didn't wanna ask because I didn't wanna know. But that day I was really thinking about it. Um, but then the next day was a much better day. And then the day after that was a much better day. And what we had decided after that was like, they were able to keep her off the ventilator. She didn't have to be intubated again. So she, we could see her face. She could talk to us. She could, was like, her voice was really weak because she had not been able to use it for a couple weeks. But um, what they had, so they had a mask on her so that she could breathe room air. And it was like part of like keeping her comfortable from a breathing standpoint, but also like she felt better and more confident having access to that support. So, um, but what they had said was like, she needed to get extubated that day. Cause it was, like I said, a lot of time on the vent. Um, but also that was the day that like, she might've been having withdrawals from some of those sedation meth. So they're like, the timing just didn't really add up the greatest. So they think that some of those responses were just like her body coming off of that med. But, um, so she continued to get better and make progress. And I can share some videos with you, but like music, her music therapist would come in and like they started getting her to sing. And so they're like, this is great for her diaphragm. So it's like, it's working all those muscles. Was it pink? Did they have her sing pink? <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the songs? She was singing that a lot of like show tunes oh, <laughs> and like movie soundtrack songs. Um, but those were some of the happiest and they would like incorporate some of her stuffed animals. <laughs> it was so cute. They're the best. Um, and then there was this one respiratory therapist that like, I guess on the floor, he kind of was notoriously like pretty standoffish and like he didn't get too close to his patients, but like Charlotte just got into his heart. And one day he came to check on us and he was like, Charlotte had been extubated and stuff. And he just was like waving real quick as he was going past to another room and all of a sudden, oh God. I don't know if I can say his name or not, but she like used her little voice like as loud as it would go. She was like, hey, mister. <laughs> and then he turned around. He's like, Charlotte, was that you? <laughs> like he was, he got her a little unicorn notebook and oh a little gosh. unicorn headband from the gift shop because it was so cute. And, but anyway, so she kind of stole the hearts of some of the people that worked on the floor. And we, would, so we were in ICU for five weeks. And so, I mean, we got to know a lot of the care staff. Um, and the whole time Ryan and I were able to be there with her, our parents took care of our kids at home and we have a really close like family babysitter and she did a lot of care. So like all the first day of school stuff, actually Ryan did go home the nights that before the kids did the first day of school so he could do drop offs. And then, but for the most part, we tried to stay with her as much as possible. And then we might go home, we might've gone home for like an overnight and then come back. But we were there for the whole time. And then we were moved up to just what they call like the general floor. And that's kind of like staging. So you can figure out next steps. And we had been told by her therapist that we'd probably need to go to an inpatient rehab facility, which was really hard to hear because we wanted to just go home. <laughs> but they're like the severity of her disorder and how long she has been on bed rest. Because for those whole five weeks, she hadn't like she had been in a wheelchair, like if she wanted to get out of the room, mm -hmm. but that was only a handful of times too. So they're like, she's going to have to learn how to walk again. She's going to have to learn how to bathroom again. She's going to have to learn how to, like, she couldn't shower. We were doing like sponge baths and stuff. And so they're like, she's not ready to go home. Yeah. And they were, one of the things too, was like, they were not confident about her being able to support her neck in a car ride. So, um, so we were put up on the general floor while we made plans for where to go. And we wanted to be, so there were like three options, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Waterloo, Iowa, and Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines was like a specific pediatric inpatient rehab. So that was, would have been great, but we were like, that's so far away. And we've got three kids at home. So we wanted to try Cedar Rapids. They wouldn't take a five-year-old with that needed breathing support. And then we were going to go to Waterloo. So we made plans. It was over the, we were going to be sent there on a Monday morning. And so I went home that Sunday to kind of get some more supplies so we could make the trip up, get the kids kind of settled. And so that night at like seven o'clock, I got a phone call from the admitting nurse and she's like, well, we have some bad news. <laughs> I was like, what? She's like, we don't have some of the uh, respiratory supplies that Charlotte's going to need. So we can't take her. <laughs> I was like, we're supposed to be transported tomorrow morning. Like oh, no. what the heck? So that was kind of a blow to the psyche. And 
I'm kind of, I'm glossing over a lot of what's going on, but like every day she had to have like three or four lung treatments. So it'd be like a big, it was like the size of your palm and it vibrated really hard and we would run it up and down the front and the back of her torso. So it would break up any, um, anything that was like settling in the bottom of her lungs. Cause she had had throughout this like collapsed lungs and she had had pneumonia and it would like cause things to like accumulate and then like her lung might collapse. And so she had to get frequent breathing treatments and we had to do like suctioning out her throat and stuff. Cause like a person with regular abilities, like you just get like drainage and you can just like either cough it up or whatever. She couldn't do that. So it would get like lodged and then she could, she was choking. So we would have to like suction that out a lot and they didn't have those. So then we're like, well, our last option is Johnston, which is Des Moines. And so we're like, well, it is for pediatric patients, which is good. But we're like, this is three hours from the rest of our family. So we were transported there. So this, we were supposed to go to Waterloo on a Monday. So by the time we had to make all these arrangements and stuff like that, we were going to then be transported to Johnston on a Friday. So we had stayed up in Iowa City for what was then like a total of six weeks. And we had made some really good friends, like doctors from the PICU would stop up just to see how she was doing. Our respiratory therapist friends would stop up to see how she was doing. Um, on our last full day there, her care team was like, mom and dad, you guys need to go get lunch. We will watch her mm-hmm. and you guys need to go away. So we went like, if anybody's familiar with Iowa City, like the hospitals are like down by the football stadium. And then like, if you walk around the football stadium, there's a really good burger joint. So we're like, okay, we're just gonna go over to Stella's. We're gonna get a beer and a burger and then we'll come back. So we were gone for maybe an hour and a half. And right before we left, like she had music therapy in there and we knew that she was gonna be having OT and PT. So we're like, she'll have a full schedule. So we get back and like from down the hall, we could hear her doing music still. And we're like, this is an hour and a half. And we got to her room and all of her therapists are in there and her nurse, they were playing games. Charlotte was giggling. They, they're like, you guys should leave more often. We just had so much fun without you. And we were like, that was such a good day. And they also that day had her up and like walking a little bit. And she was able to walk without support, which was really cool. And, um, so we knew that it was time to go to rehab. And so that felt good. So then we were transported to rehab on a Friday. And then (laughs) this keeps happening on weekends. And then like on the weekends, I mean, it's like a, it's like another job. Like the majority of the business happens on Monday through Friday. Yeah. So Saturday and Sunday, we had a lot of time to ourselves mm-hmm. and we were like, I don't know what I was thinking. Like my expectations of this might be, I don't want this to sound terrible, but like my expectations of rehab was like, there's going to be a lot of kids like Charlotte, like they could play together, they could get help. And then when we went into it, it was a lot like what I would compare to like a nursing home facility and there were kids which I get I don't know why I didn't assume that like I mean that's what a residential facility is and so um but then like the degree of injury to a lot of these kids was far more severe than Charlotte's and I was like it was really again humbling to see what other family situations were and what other kids were dealing with and like some kids like we were lucky to be able to stay with her. Some kids didn't have parents stand with them and they were cared for by the staff. And yeah, it was just, it was, a, there were great staff, but that first weekend was tough. Cause it was like, just, we had this idea and then it was not that, but, but then on Monday, like I, so Ryan and I were going to start like handing like two days at home, one, mm-hmm. two days with Charlotte, two days at home, two days with Charlotte. So we could kind of be with the kids more. Yeah. And by that point, Ryan needed, this was like mid to late September. So Ryan needed to get back to work. Yeah. And, um, so I remember driving home that Sunday night and I was bawling like all the way home from Des Moines. Cause I was like, I can't believe I'm leaving them. Like we just had like, it was a tough weekend trying to fill our own schedules. And I was like, how is this going to go? But then I called on Monday to see how like some of the first treatments were because she was getting physical therapy, occupational therapy, and um, I'm blanking out on the word, but like swallowing therapy Mm -hmm. twice a day. Mm -hmm. Um, So after her first round of therapies that Monday, I called and they were giggling in the background. And I was like, 
He's like, it's like night and day. He's like, the weekends must just be tough because we don't have a full schedule. He's like, but today has been so much fun. And from there, it did just like, they had playgrounds and they had bikes and they had a pool. And it was all stuff we didn't have access to because we were admitted on a Friday afternoon and like those therapies weren't available on the weekends. So, So it was really, really good. And she made so many gains there. So we stayed there for about three weeks. And she worked really hard daily on walking again and using her arms. And the big thing we wanted to do was have her be breathing and swallowing on her own. But when it was determined that she was stable enough to go home and she had like passed her car seat test and like crawling in and out of the vehicle and stuff, they're like, okay, she can go home. So it had been eight weeks. It was October. I can't remember if it was third or fourth. It was a Friday. (laughs) And we were able to go home. And what did that feel like? Oh, my God. It was weird. I remember the first night, like, this was earlier, but, like, I remember the first night that I came home, and I was, like, laying in bed, and I was like, this house feels so big, because <laughs> it was, like, the size of our bedroom was the size of our PICU room, and then when we were able to come home, it was like bringing home a new baby, because it was like, is she going to sleep okay? How are we going to do this? So we had to, like, rearrange her room, because she had to come home with, like, a feeding tube yet. So we had to have supplies for that. And she had to have a BiPAP machine to help her breathe. So we had to bring that home. We had to have a suction machine in case she couldn't breathe or choked or something. And so we had to have all that. So we had a lot of medical supplies that were coming home. And that was really, again, humbling because some people deal with this for their whole life. And some people have it a lot more severely than we did. But it was like the amount of like responsibility you felt and the amount of things that you had to bring in your home to care for your child was just crazy but she did good and as quickly as AFM set on it was as quickly as she would gain things back so like the first week home all of a sudden she was like I would really like to try a chicken nugget and so it's just like with a baby like she had just been getting tube feeds through her nose Mm -hmm. with like baby formula basically And so if we gave her food, like pieces of food, it would have to be like smaller than what you would give a six month old because she could choke and she did choke like in therapies. Mm. So we were very careful, but we like the day she wanted the chicken nugget, we gave her small bites and then I would just increase the size a little bit. And as I was increasing the size, she was chewing and she wasn't choking. And I was like, okay, basic. And then by that time I was like going up to like quarters of a chicken nugget and she was handling it. And I was like, wow. "Wow." And so then the next day she was like, I'm really hungry. And I said, what do you want to eat? I'll get you anything you want. And she's like, I really like something from Casey's. And I was like, well, do you want a donut or pizza? And I was like, never mind. We're getting you both. (laughs) (laughs) And so that morning we like had gone and visited her classroom at school. She got to meet her new teacher. Um, And we had like a plan with her. Uh, she was going to be like getting therapy um, several times a week at a therapy place in Dubuque. And then she would also have therapy at school. Um, she, we were just going to start with like a couple hours a day. And then we would graduate to like maybe a morning. And then we would eventually go to full days. But that first, I remember just the first day that we visited and everybody had questions. She still had a feeding tube hooked up to her face. Uh, we called it her noodle. And... Um, Then that, after we went and visited her school, like we went and stopped at Casey's and I called Ryan. I'm like, she's watching TV. She just ate a whole piece of pizza and a whole donut by herself. And he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yes, she did it. And it's just, that's kind of been the name of the game. Like things just come back all of a sudden and not without work. She does have therapy a lot. And then about a year after all of this initially happened, again, I had like talked to other moms and found the Facebook group and we found specialists. So we got in contact with um, Dr. Amy Moore down in St. Louis at Washington University. And she was doing this kind of, she's a a plastic surgeon by trade, but she had kind of started working with these AFM kids thinking about like, well, if I can help people's nerves recover after like a severe injury, like a car accident or something, and they have nerve damage, why can't I apply this to a child that has AFM? So she was taking those same concepts and we ended up having a consult with her and then Charlotte was approved for nerve transfer surgery. So this was a year. Yeah. So it was August 27th of 2019 and we went down to St. Louis and well, we had like a consult in mid August 
and then surgery was the 27th and what they did was in her left arm this is like a nine hour surgery in her left arm they went and what they did was like basically just they called it a decompression but she said like in children there's so much inflammation around the nerves when they're sick that the nerves can get like stuck mm. and then the inflammation because their bodies are growing at the same time like then the nerves just don't glide like they're supposed to so she said, I think that's what's going on with this left arm. If I can just go in there and free it up, I think you're going to see a whole lot of motion back. And we have. Awesome. Her left arm has gotten so much stronger. And then she's like, with her right arm, that one is very much more severely impacted. So she's like, we're going to go in and we'll see what nerves are alive. And there's might going to be some that are dead. But she said, what we'll do is take out some of those dead sections. And then they like solder them together. And... Mm -hmm. After the surgery, she came out and talked to us, and she's like, actually, a lot more of her nerves were alive than I was expecting. Oh, she's like, wow. actually, she's like, the, the drawback is she's going to have a bigger scar because we had to go farther than we had anticipated. But in the long run, that's a good thing because she yeah. had so much more yeah. to work with. So, um, yeah, and then since then, like, again, it's just like she'll all of a sudden be able to do something. And, like, even last month, she wanted to point out, like over there. Like she's like, mom, can I go over there? And she used her right arm and like held it for a second and pointed. And I was like, wait a second, what'd you just do? And she goes, oh. and she's like, I'm going to go over there. Like, I'm going to go over there. And like she kept pointing and it's, she'll probably never be able to raise. And like, obviously we're on a podcast, but like she'll, be, she'll probably never be able to raise her arm up so that it's like perpendicular like yeah. a 90 degree angle yeah she might never get there but now at least she can bring her forearm up and yeah. hold it or Amazing. if she wants to feed herself with her right arm Amazing. she can do it yes which is like yeah from the untrained eye they'd be like whoa she's still got like a long way to go but to us we're like Victories. look how far she's come <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh um, and I've just talked for an hour so what do you think, what would you say to somebody, a, a parent or someone who's going through something, you know, that's impacting their child, you know, from a mom's perspe perspective, like what do you do for encouragement or su suggest for somebody going through a hardship? Um, well, I think what got us through those first few weeks were just like being so super naive. <laughs> I just kept thinking, like, it can't be that bad. <laughs> if we would have gone in, like, and said, oh, my gosh, they said we're going to be here for weeks, I think that would have been very daunting. Mm -hmm. But we always just tried to look towards the positive. And I have a very supportive husband, and he is an amazing dad. And we have a huge support system of family and friends, and we are very lucky in that regards because we've talked a lot of times about, like, if, if we were a single parent, like, it would be so hard. And I don't know how I would handle it differently in that. But I think a lot of what happened, <laughs> is just having, like, <clears throat> a naive and positive mindset mm -hmm. was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And just this, we never told her that there was anything she couldn't do mm. we're like you just might have to work hard at it yeah. and then I did notice like the summer after so I was like June so about nine months post all of this I was like so wound up and I was just like I was in a bad mood a lot and I had a friend reach out to me and she's like you know I've got this really great therapist and she's like I have I gone through a lot she's like I went to this therapist and it helps me and so I took a chance because I had never been to a therapist before. And I felt so much better after that. Like, going to therapy and having someone, like, I just felt bottled up. And she was like, you just tell me all about it. And then she was like, maybe you need to write. And so I wrote a blog about this. And, like, a lot of just sharing helped, too. Mm -hmm. And I think around that same time was when I also met these other moms. And, like, we had a support system of... Because <clears throat> even as supportive as people in our family and friend groups were, like, they didn't know and couldn't relate exactly to what we were going through or had gone through, but these other families could. And so it was really great. And, like, the power of technology and social media to connect us from all over the place um, was really a great thing. Yeah. And then in late 2019, actually, us Iowa moms were able to meet up. And we were able to, like, awesome. have a day where we could just go. That. It was great. It was so nice. So support systems where you can. Um, therapy was super helpful. And then I think just trying to keep a positive mindset as much as possible. 
down. And so Molly, is there a song that lifts you up or would be kind of on your must listen to playlist when you think about your family's experience with Charlotte's journey? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple. Um, when she was like at the very serious, like bedridden phase of her journey. And I guess I kind of talked about it during the MRI too. Her favorite artist was pink. Um, so what she, what we had playing a lot of times when she was like doing her therapies or just like having music in the background of her room was pink. And so one day a nurse came in and there was a song by pink playing and all of a sudden pink said the F word and I turned to Charlotte and her eyes got huge. And I said, Charlotte, do you, did you know that there was a bad word in this song? And of course she had the tube in her mouth, so she couldn't talk, but she just slowly nodded and her eyes were huge. And I was like, we can't be listening to this. So, and then at another time it was playing again and it went to a song that was like, I can't remember what the name of the song was, but there was a part of it where like, the nurses being a little B word. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Charlotte, <laughs> there was a nurse in the room. And I was like, this is not appropriate for our situation right now. So when I think about songs, I typically think about that. And then a couple years. Oh, and then I should say like one of the things like after Charlotte got out of the hospital that we really wanted to do was go see Pink's world tour. And uh, we had an opportunity to go see her in Omaha just wow. a break. I think it was in May after she was released from the hospital. So it was like me, my mom, my sister, we took Charlotte and then our daughter Corinne and we went to Omaha. We went like out for a fancy dinner. We went to pink. She had a great opening act. And then it was like time for the show to start. And I had like a six-year-old and a five-year-old with me and pink took the stage she was doing like her aerial acrobatics and stuff and i look over and both of them are sleeping like who can fall asleep during a concert <laughs> and there was like fireballs and like obviously it was very loud but they slept through most of it so i still, oh my like, gosh every so often i'm like how was the pink concert girls and they're like oh it was great and i'm like really because you slept <laughs> But no way. Uh, so anyway, oh uh, but then uh, just recently, last summer, Charlotte's been doing music therapy with a local music therapist here in town, and she had introduced Charlotte to the song "Fight Song." And when Charlotte came home that day, she's like, "Mom, Callie told me about this song, and it's just perfect because it's just like me." And she was like reciting lyrics of fight song back to me. And she's like, this is just like me. And it's talking about not giving up and like trying harder and getting stronger. And I'm doing all that stuff. So I think that's, even though it wasn't necessarily happening in the moment, like that wasn't a song of like the acute part of her journey. It's definitely something that she's found during her rehabilitation phase. And it's a song that I really think about a lot as like representative of what she's gone through. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of like you, that phrase of like life imitating art, art imitating life. And mm -hmm. that definitely is what Charlotte had experienced. So yeah. as a family, knowing um, kind of the, the journey that you went through together as a family, I'm sure it's just, you had a united family before and even stronger now. What do you guys like to do as a family? Um, honestly, we really enjoy movie nights and the kids enjoy like having picnic dinners, which basically we just lay out a blanket on the floor and eat off paper plates. Um, but they, they like doing that. We like watching movies. We, they, we take care of a lot of livestock. So we'll go over and do chores together for like the chickens and the cattle and the pigs. And they really have recently liked bike riding. So we'll go for long mm -hmm. bike rides in the summer or just even like I'll get a lawn chair and read my book while they ride up and down the driveway. They really like that. Um, yeah. but yeah, there's been a lot of things we've had the opportunity to do together and like, we don't, and we've noticed this with our kids, they're all very supportive and we've had people tell us, um, like throughout the journey, like while Charlotte was in the hospital and like the kids were already back to school, like the teachers would tell us, they're like, we can tell that your kids are really close because they're talking about Charlotte and they're praying for her and they're like, just and I see that now too. Like they're all just very supportive and they help her out if she needs help. Like if she can't reach a cup in the cupboard, they'll get it for her. And they don't 
make fun of her. They just help her out. And like when Charlotte was trying to ride her bike without training wheels a couple days ago, Corinne was like, Charlotte, you know, maybe we just need to get righty a little bit stronger with some more therapy and then we'll be able to do it. So it's like, they're all just like so supportive of one another and it's really sweet to watch. So they really just, I mean, this is not to say they don't fight because they do, but for the most part, they enjoy playing together and just doing kid things. And so we kind of like to see them do that too. That is great. And I think you had shared or July, while it's very important, it's kind of the onset of when Charlotte started experiencing things. Is July also a, a month of representing AFM? Yes. So just last year in 2020, now, obviously we all know that 2020 kind of derailed the world, but it was originally planned to be like the very first ever acute flaccid myelitis awareness month. So it's a concerted effort amongst the AFMA, which is Acute Flaccid Myelitis Association community and the CDC to kind of help get the word out about this very rare disease and to like alert people to some of the early onset symptoms so that they can take quick action and get kids treated with things like IVIG, steroids, things like that as soon as possible. So this is the second, since we're in July, 2021, it's the second ever acute flaccid myelitis awareness month. So there have been Uh, different informational posts that have been released on social media. They just announced that there's a children's book that is now being published about the main character who has acute flaccid myelitis. Um, They do merchandise sales with t-shirts and sweatshirts and things like that during the month, all just to raise awareness and help people know about this really rare disease. And then in September, there's like an acute flaccid myelitis awareness day too. So we're just trying to get the word out, let people know what this is and that kids, you know, while it is rare, it's a very real, very serious condition and we want people to know about it. So someday hopefully we can find a cause and ultimately a cure or a treatment for these children. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your advocacy on this and sharing all of these um, amazing details of the journey and clearly just knowing like Charlotte is so being able to fight through that. It's such a tender age and and knowing that um, she's got such a, a full support behind her. So thank you again, Molly, for just taking time to, to share about that with me. Oh my gosh. And thank you for giving us this platform. I think I said this, but like, I'm used to talking like about a lot of stuff for my job, but I don't often get the opportunity to share about just like all that Charlotte went through and how strong she is. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do that here with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in to the Hardship Journey episode. It would mean so much to me if you would share this episode with a friend or family member or even post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out. And I hope you feel inspired and motivated from listening to this episode. And no matter what comes your way on life's journey, you can make your own hardship journey.